As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Today, we've got a heartbreaking story of injustice. And this guy's suffering. I've watched all the videos he sent me. Is ongoing. Not only did he get framed once and exonerated 14 years sentence, exonerated, but in a unique way whereby they don't tell you why they're letting you go. Well, it's obvious why they let him go because of police corruption. But the police cannot admit they did this corruption. So it's just such a bizarre story with so many twists and turns. And it's heartbreaking as well when you hear what's happened to his parents. So thanks for coming on, Egg. Thank you for having me, Sean. Before we get to your 14-year sentence that you got exonerated for then, firearms and drugs in the house that were planted, do you want to just tell people a bit about your family and Brookwood Cemetery. Uh, yeah, I term well. We're Turkey, we're Turkish Cypriots. We're what we're from what they call today, Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus. So, um, Dad was exiled from his own country. I'll give you a little bit of background about Dad, Ramadan Hussein Gunay, um, and. Uh, Basically, we were being ethnic cleansed in Cyprus. So I suppose, you know, Dad was challenged with those challenges. So we grew into that, but we didn't, as a child, I didn't really understand what that was. Um, all I knew is Dad was exiled. Uh, he was given the choice to go to Australia, uh, America, or here. He came here. Um, and he wasn't allowed to go back to Cyprus until the uh, mid-70s. So obviously the 74 war and all that kind of stuff. And he was exiled because they were the uprising against uh, Greeks and the Greek Cypriots who were ethnic cleansing the Turkish Cypriot Muslims. Instigated by the British and the Americans, of course. Um, so um, we... I was born in London myself, uh, Stockwell to be precise. Uh, grew up in Islington, St John Street. Uh, Mum and Dad had a record shop there um, called Equator Records. And then from there we moved over to North London, more to uh, Green Lanes, Newington Green. N16, Pope's Cove to be precise. Um, and mum had another shop there called Music Dunya, so World of Music. So I grew up in that environment, and dad 
was trying to stabilise feeding the six of us and keep the money coming in and still fighting his political uh, issues and challenges. So we grew up in a very close community in North London and um, serving the community because of my dad's own experiences. He set up the first Turkish mosque in the United Kingdom, which was uh, an old synagogue. It was a 1903 Rothschild building. Quite a beautiful building. It's still there, and I operate that today as a funeral director and the chairman. Um, and that wasn't planned. Trust me. Um, so mum was in the shop doing her music. Dad was involved in his community. He was highly respected and, um, you know, the likes of Bilian Ejevit, Prime Minister, the leader of the Turkish army, uh, were Dad's friends. And the battle still continues with Northern Cyprus. So um, we sort of grew up in that environment. And, you know, sadly, my mum died in the shop on New Year's Day 92, um, which was a very big impact on the whole family because your mum is... The, the root of the family. She's, she's, she's everything. That was a natural cause, death. Well, yeah. We say she died of a broken heart. Mm. Um, and we had a lot of stuff going on in between all of that, with all the politics, with the mosque, with the community. Um, I don't know if you know the name, Asyon Adia, Polypec. Um, my dad was the man that put the bell money up for him. So off the back of him skipping bow as it were um which turned out to be um wrong because they put my dad through that whole hell trying to make him liable to pay this one million pound surety when in fact he wasn't liable and there was a little bit of uh let's say smelling of a rat situation there um the conditions i need to tell you this because it's important as to the mechanism, we both know how bent and corrupt the system is. So, as soon as it's on bail, the conditions are that my dad attends and signs and agrees in front of the judge. That happened the first time. Um, that happened the second time. But on the third time, my dad wasn't called. And the judge took it upon himself to make it continuous. Make the bail continuous. So, uh, as you absconded. We jumped in a plane from Hainal Airport. As you know the story, Peter Diamond flew him out. He ended up in Cyprus. What happened after that, for us as a family, we were then uh, targeted from every level. And um, tax investigations, in our revenue, all the rest of it. Where'd you get your money from, Mr. Gunay, and all that kind of stuff. And he owned Brookwood Cemetery. He bought Brookwood Cemetery um, in the 80s. Now, Bro Brookwood Cemetery is going to be a huge part of this story. So where I live, Woking is very close, and I drive past this massive piece of land that is Brookwood Cemetery. And from watching the videos that X sent over, this was the biggest cemetery in the world at one point. It was so big, it was going to take all... Of London's dead so as you can imagine the value of that land has gone up over the years and this cemetery and the battle for that land and the corruption that, that, that 
surrounding it is going to be a huge part of this story. Yeah. Do you want to expand on that? I can expand on that. I'll just give you some history of Brookwood. Brookwood was established in 1854. It was given up 2,000 acres by Lord Cadogan, by the Queen, uh, asked him. And actually, Brookwood Cemetery was here before Woking. All right, so we owned all the land. The company owned all the land. It was called originally the London Necropolis. And, um, and then later on in the 70s, it was designed to deal with London's overcrowding. Um, there was a train line from Waterloo, first, second class, public class coming in from London and bearing because all the cemeteries were full. So we're at that, we're there now. We're in the same position with the cemeteries in London now. There's no burial space. So um, they'd bought 19, acre, uh, 19 acres initially, uh, initially for the community. So the uh, mosque was set up purposely to serve our community and our burials. We bury within 24 hours. So the mosque's facilities, mortuary, wash area, prayers, make the final journey, lay them to rest. And then eventually the owner at that time, Mr. Daly, was a little South African Jewish guy, convinced my dad to buy the cemetery. He said, well, madam, why don't you buy it all? My dad said, what are we going to do with it? It's a big liability. And in those days, it was it's like 460 acres was left after they sold off a lot of land. We still own the benefits of the outsides um, of Brookwood. I'll tell you about how we lost it. Oh, well, it got stolen. The largest cemetery in the world got stolen from us by fraud and deception and a little bit of help from the police. And Woking Borough Council was all over this because they wanted it. Um, so, yeah, he bought it in 83, I think, the rest of it. And he came home one day and he said, I bought a cemetery. And we said, why would you do something like that? Um, but looking back, it was a very wise move. It was a beautiful move. We spent over 30 years cleaning it, cutting it back, um, a massive part of history. Um, and it had been left, it had been derelict, it had been vandalised. They'd been decapitating some of their bodies in the tombs and all that kind of stuff before we got there. So, you know, we spent the best part of our life making that place what it is today. And... Um, Obviously, we served not only the community, Woking, whoever came. It's got every religion, every culture, uh, history dating back, as I said, the Great Fire of London, John Singer Sergeant, the author, the illustrator, Rupert the Bell, everybody's there. So there's a lot of history and um, kind of like very sacred for us to be the guardians. And... Um, these are our views. You know, when you're responsible for the last journey, it's the most sacred. Nothing comes second to that journey. Nothing. Apart from having a baby. The last journey is sacred. And so it's an honour for us to be in that position. And obviously, the value of that, we that paid not a lot of money for it at the time. It was a lot of money at the time, but not a lot of money. However, it grew and grew, and he realised that he didn't just own the cemetery, he owned the roads, the right-of-ways, uh, the schools. Um, it was kind of a uh, 
bottom of the rainbow, the uh, pot of the rainbow, if you like, the golden pot. So um, not realising what it actually bought, um, it came with many surprises. So my dad invested it back into Brookwood roads. We laid 26 miles of tarmac because in those days it was horse and carriage, not cars. So we we had to modernise everything that was going on. Um, however, we became the keepers, the guardians of Brookwood. Um, and, you know, it was our home. Yeah, it was a total commitment. It was a bit of a struggle for me at first because as a kid, I really didn't have a relationship with death. Um, and it was just a no-go area. Uh, however, um, being brought up in it and around it, you start realising, oh, this is quite important. This is, you know, quite serious. Now, I'm a London boy, so I grew up in London. And the programme in London is fast cars, nice hours, loads of money, clubbing, all that kind of stuff. Everything that amounts to nothing at the end. Um, so, you know, I was learning lessons and my dad was trying to teach me and I weren't getting my head around being keen on burying people. It wasn't what I wanted to do in my 20s. Um, and in my own right, I'm a Porsche specialist. Um, first, second, third generation mobile phones. I was one of three companies that started the mobile phone back in uh, 85. I've done very well out of that. And, you know, as I said, when my mum passed away on New Year's Day, money didn't have any value. Um, it broke me. Um, in fact, I contemplated suicide. Um, and then something really beautiful happened, something very spiritual happened, um, which brought me back. Um, and that was a struggle. So, you know, we actually... Buried our mum in Brookwood, but in a uh, shallow grave with the intentions to send her back to Cyprus, which was her wish. And I'm still fighting to do that now. How long ago was that? Uh, 92 she passed. Um, 30 years almost. Yeah, and I had issues with my dad about what we're doing with mum. She hasn't got a memorial, what we're waiting for. So I didn't get here. Let's put a stone. We own a cemetery. Why can't we put a stone? And he said, we're taking her back. We're taking her back. I said, okay, just put a little stone, Dad. I'm going to build a room until I'm ready, till I get things sorted out in Cyprus, and then I'm going to take her back. Mm. A long time to be struggling to try and make that happen for almost yeah. 30 years anyway so we had our challenges with that and so while that was all going on all the other politics with the Nadia stuff was flaring up again a little bit naive to the fact um Dad was under investigation because of Asil Nadir who absconded. The police wanted their bail money. Um, we ended up going to court because my dad said, I'm not liable for this. 
I didn't come to court. I didn't sign. No one told me you released him. The judge has no right of making that bail continuous. The police took my dad to court um, uh, in front of the high court. And he won, two to one. The police appealed. I went to the law lords. And five high court law lords ruled in my dad's favour. He weren't. He weren't liable because the judge should never have made it continuous without the, the uh, signature of my father and, and the agreement. He can't make it continuous because he feels like it. So obviously that pissed the old bill off. Um, but again, it didn't put us in a good light because my dad didn't have any idea that Asa was going to abscond. Um, my dad was a very straight guy. He was a good man. Um, very strict, um, but you know he grew up without a dad, so there's a lot of stuff that took place in the house um, that could have been handled differently. You know he didn't muck about. If you was getting a hiding, you were getting a hiding, and I did get a hiding quite a lot because I was uh, probably a handful for him, and I think he was relying on my elders to keep me in control but they weren't doing their job I'm the second youngest of six anyway so um, you know uh, loads of events that took place he was fighting the police uh, we were dealing with the loss of our mum we had other issues going on inside the family um, once mum passed away it really destabilised the family we were all over the place. And um, because of the Asim Nadir affair um, and the old Bill having the ump, the police, um, not getting their way, we were targeted. And, you know, I've always had problems with the police because of my dad's stance in the community um, and his political uh, views and the fact that, you know, he was uh, a very powerful man in his own right, you know. While Turkish Alpas, who was the leader of the Turkish army, was alive, um, uh, my dad was next to him, you know. He used to stay at our ass. So when you've got the leader of the Turkish army staying at your ass, um, well, again, I was very naive to the fact I didn't know who he was. All I knew was I had to give up my bed again to my uncle. Um, it was that kind of scenario for us. Um so all of this was uh, MI5, MI6, SO11 uh, level. And not, not my remit, not my understanding what the political implications are. And let's go back to Cyprus situation. As we know, the British have got their bases there and the UN. They've solved nothing in 45 years. Um, we've still got embargoes on the Turkish Republic and Northern Cyprus. They say Turkey invaded. Turkey intervened. Otherwise, we would have all been massacred and buried in mass graves. All right, so that's the truth of that. And my dad was one of the founders of the underground movement against Ioka. So Volkans before Temete. So there's a lot of political stuff going on. But when you're fighting for your life... You're fighting for your life. You've got to uh, protect your your people. 
and that's how we grew up. We grew up as Turkish Cypriots, exiled, um, not recognised by the rest of the world, although everybody loves Cyprus. We, we're still, our, our communities, our people are still starving because still today, the British government have done nothing about removing the embargoes or even recognising us. So that was kind of like a heavy pin in the community. And as I said, the mosque, uh, my dad was a community leader um, with all our fathers of that generation because we all experienced the ethnic cleansing. So I think my dad was a problem uh, or a concern for the government um, or the establishment in that respect. But my dad wasn't um, an aggressor or anything like that. He was fighting for his his life. Um, so putting the bell man at Frasil Nadia and him at Skondin created a new problem. Um, and I said to my dad, why, why did you do that, Dad? He said, you never kick a dog while he's down. We knew his father. He was one of the many that had to leave Cyprus and out of respect for his father, we've helped him. Okay, but now we've got problems because now they want to know this, they want to know that, they're not leaving us alone, all of this kind of stuff. So I had my own interests, my own issues. I had phone companies. I had loads of stuff going on um, with my business partners and stuff like that. I was making a hell of a lot of money. You know, when the mobile phone industry started back in the 80s and we had um, all the collapses of the businesses, the recession, they call it, uh, we done quite well out of it. So there was a lot of money flying about and we become targets from that angle. And uh, we helped a lot of people, you know, set up a lot of businesses, set up shops all over London. I've done very well out of it. But getting back to the point, after losing mum, the money or what we were trying to create and do just lost its flavour. It didn't have any anything. Um, obviously, we had competition. Mobile phones was big money. Um, and, you know, I was in my 20s driving around in a 100 grand car. So you become the interest in somebody's eyes. Um, and then what happened next? Uh, Is it all right to put the phone on silent? People are going to go mental. If they, they watch the video, and they're going to hear all these noises. Is it buzzing, yeah? It's been buzzing all, all the time, yeah. Sorry. Can I just... I've got my daughter ringing me. Sorry. Is it important I'm in an interview? So, um, after the 90s, I say after the 90s, in the beginning of the 90s, when mum passed, 92, we started doing parties and the rave scene and all that kind of stuff. Growing up in a record shop, most of our friends are DJs, promoters, all that kind of stuff. London scene, main archery. We were having a good time. I had a lot of support from my friends. Um, I'll shut this off. Okay, thanks. <laughs> and um, I 
Sorry. Yeah, it was... Uh, so you were doing the rave scene? Doing the raves. I had a company called Fast Lanes, uh, Audio Phone, Intercell. We were doing really, really well. Pulse business. I was Pulse specialist. That was my passion, 9-11s. Um, left school, had a bad start, 13. Um, so, you know, I had to move quickly to make money so I didn't have to worry about counting it. That was my view. Um, but, you know, what happened next? We were growing. We were strong. We were trying to create stuff for the community. We were trying to educate. We were pumping um, ideas and things back into the community because it's where you live. You know, if the government ain't going to do it, then you've got to help the people around you and hopefully they'll help. Anyway, so what happened next? Um, I get arrested. I get set up, actually fitted up, and I'm sure you know, if you don't know, Operation Jackpot. Do you want to tell the people what that means? Operation Jackpot was a massive investigation into police corruption in Stoke-Ninton Police, which is where I grew up. Um, probably uh, one of the worst uh, police stations for corruption, breeding ground for bent coppers. In fact, I've heard stories from lawyers who were police officers uh, that used to go. They, This is what they told me. Come out, we come out of Hendon. This is Stoke Newton Police Station. We come out of Hendon. We go to Stokey. We're what they call green behind the ears. They go out on a drug bust. They nick the drug dealer's money. They nick his gear. And they tell him, next time you're going down the station. That's Stoke Newton Police Station. They'd go back to the police station with their little unit, have a little carve up. If you didn't take your share, you was out. If you took your share, you're in. So I said to the solicitor that was telling me the story, I said, what did you do? He said, I got up and left. He said, that's not what I joined the police force for. He said, I joined with good intention to make a better place and try and make a contribution, not to become a part of the problem. This is what we've been saying on this channel all along. There's so much money in illegal drugs. It corrupts They're every right. profession right. it comes into contact Left, with. Left, right and centre. Police are letting some dealers deal, taking money off them and arresting the competition. And then by arresting the competition, they're showing the fight in the war on drugs. Yeah. But there's just so much money to be had. It's corrupted yeah. so many well, people. Well, even informers, registered informers, if... if if he uh, is in a little bit of a circle, all right, um, and this is what Stokey were renowned for, uh, they'll stick their informers in the dealers and uh, they'd nick the, the, the grass, the informant, and say, look, there's the gear, this is it. The informant would get four grand for every kilo that they recovered and that we split that with the police. So if you've got nicks with 10 kilos... They'll be with Nick six. You'll get rewarded for four. They'll carve that up with you and give you back that six to put it back on the street. 
I just don't own police stations. This is the reality of what's going on all over the world. That this money is... could have been used to investigate and arrest pedos. Yeah. That's why on this channel we're calling for an end to the war on drugs and a beginning to the war on pedos. Yeah. We've, our biggest problem in this country is are the pedos. Yes. We have been operated and played like puppets by the biggest sex offenders on this yes. planet. And they need looking up. Including Prince and Andrew? Being, yeah, well, you know, there's no... Dare I say it, there's no smoke without fire. How many times in the last four years have we seen naked boys climbing out of the palace? <sighs> have you seen that story? <laughs> They've got pictures of a naked boy climbing out of the palace trying to run away. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not making it up. That's something that I've seen um, in the press. And, you know, the governments, the politicians, the police, they're all going to the same parties. Um and, you know, if you're in it, you're in it. If you're not in it, not one pedo who's known gone to prison that I know. They wait for him to die or they cover it up or they long it out so you, you forget about it. You know, and, you know, uh, we, we talk about police corruption, but, you know, the big, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. And you've experienced it first time you lost years of your life. So how did that come about? Well, they planted the police, okay, planted five kilos of heroin, a gun, 134 rounds of ammunition in my daughter's bedroom. And before you say he's making this up, he did the time and he was exonerated for this. I had my conviction quashed, but not been told why. <laughs> And I went up on free appeals. I got free knockbacks, and it was only that the Criminal Case Review Commission uh, referred it back. And on their referrals letter, they said this was the worst case of abuse or process they've ever experienced. Take us through the whole situation the day this happened. <sighs> uh, the day it happened, I was just moved into my new house. Um, I was. Still dealing with, well, I'm still dealing with my mum's death. Um, I just had my second child. So my oldest daughter, Jade, was four. My youngest daughter was not even six weeks old. And we just bought a house. And um, I need to tell you about the build-up, but I'll tell you today. Because um, it's so interesting how this evolved and how they covered it up. Um and as I said, when you tell the story, it sounds like you've escaped from a padded cell. I know we were in one, but it's a different kind of padding. Um, so Jade was four. Suela, my youngest, was not, not even a few months old, maybe six, six weeks, two months. She had a reflux problem. So we weren't getting much sleep, and um, we were in and out of hospital. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Um, she won't have been her food then. She's a little baby. So, uh, Great Ormond Street, all over the place. Anyway, what happens? Um, I'm having work done on the house. Um, we're having a, a kitchen fitted by Mobin Kitchens. I have to tell you this because this is how they come in. All right. Beware. Make sure he is the gas man. <laughs> <laughs> all right so we were all going we were dealing with the building work i was going to the businesses the shops i was running some of my dad's affairs and everything was going on you know a few issues with a couple of ex-partners in a phone game anyway so uh the police turn up they go straight to the bedroom so when you say they turn up, that they knock on the door, they just come well, in. It's open. Open. The door was open because I was getting ready to leave. Uh, the builders were coming in, and um, yeah. Did they say anything? Did you try to stop them? Did you say where's said, the warrant or anything? Said, yeah, I said, well, what's going on? What's going on? We we got a we got a warrant to search premises for guns and drugs. I said, coming in, but I said, you need to contact uh, Robert Scully and. Uh, uh, Mr. Johnson, Scotland Yard, and I need to catch up with this because there was ongoing issues with uh, ex-partners and dad and all the other stuff. And uh, so we said, initially I was told by Scotland Yard, so let's, before they come in, I was told two weeks before, be careful, disgruntled partners, um, they're going to have, have a go. They're going to either shoot, fit you up, or do something. I said, all right, okay, as you do. Um, but we want to speak to your dad. So it was a way that they were trying to get into my dad, all right, being who he was in the community. And so we had all that going on. So we were told something was going to happen. But we were told, and we thought it was going to happen at the business. So we were ready at the business. So what happens, the police turn up, and we say, and they say, we've got a warrant, yeah, can you ring this number, please, we know. Um, uh, we've been told something's going to happen, we're looking for guns and drugs, yeah, all right, come in. Go around, they go straight up into my daughter's bedroom, and they pull out, and listen very carefully to what they do. They pull out a bag, like a big sports bag, it's a hissing bag, and I'm like, oh, Okay, <laughs> what is it? Then they pull out another thing. Now, meanwhile, I've got my daughter in my hand. I'm getting ready to leave, and this is all going off. It's six old bill. I said, please ring Scotland Yard. I said, they've given us this number. They said, this is what's happening. We don't want to ring Scotland Yard, and the players in this in this game are all Operation Jackpot old bill, all Stoke Newton Police, Gillen, Osborne, 
Popham, others. They're all in, they're all published in the Times of being corrupt police officers plant, planting guns and drugs in previous cases. All right, so these old Bill that I'm faced with, I don't know. I think they're part of the same team, but they're not. All right, I'm nicked. Now I have money in the house, which I pulled out of the bank the night before to pay the builders and to pay Mobins. So we're expecting Mobin kitchens to come and install the kitchen unit and extend the pipe. So it transpires the day before, um, the gas man turns up, but we've gone. And my builder, the manager of the site, Terry, said, gas man's turned up. He said, um, I come to plumbing a pipe, I'm from Mobins. He said to me, but he didn't have no tools. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, he was a little bit shifty, went in and out of the house. And, you know, I couldn't work him out. I said, did he do the job? He said, no. Nah. I said, where did he go? He said, when he went upstairs. So I said, okay. So there's two witnesses that seen the gas man from Mobin Kitchens come in and allegedly, you know, what business have you got upstairs? The kitchen's downstairs. So I go and check my money. It's there. My telly's there. The video's there. Snacking's been nicked. Don't worry about it. It turns out he was a copper and he was a part of that crew and he was the one that planted it. I found that out six years later. He got nicked. This was the same copper that got nicked for conspiring to murder a known criminal using a known criminal. I don't know if you know that story. No. Yeah. Okay, so this guy, this uh, criminal was approached by a copper and they said, listen, we want you to do a job. If it goes wrong, give us a call. We'll come around and we'll clean it up. This was on Channel 4, all right? So um, they secretly filmed this copper and he got nine years for conspiracy, conspiring to murder a known criminal. But the criminal he went to, went to a TV company and said, this copper wants me to kill this bloke and I don't want part of it because I'm next, because I'm the only one that's going to know kind of thing. <laughs> so this is Stoke Newington Police. This is what we're dealing with. This is real stuff, all right? And these are the people that I, I was up against. I had no idea. So I'm nicked. They pull out a gun. They pull out a bag. The copper pulls out two gloves, and he puts the gloves on. Now, the gloves are cotton. They're like, um, uh, I don't know if you've ever played a bugle, but you know you've got cotton gloves, so you don't leave fingerprints. I know that because I used to play a bugle. So they had these cotton gloves on and they've gone into the Hessian bags and they've moved it about a bit and then they've taken the gloves off and they've put them back in their pocket. They found my money. I said, oh, what's this? I said, this, it's my money. It's about 20 grand, something like that. I said, I've pulled it out of the bank. I've got to pay everyone off. So we're taking this. So I'm arrested. They want to leave the kids on the sofa. They want to arrest my wife. They want to leave a two-month-old baby on the sofa. And they want to leave my four-year-old daughter. We said, we can't leave the kids on the sofa and go. And they're arresting me and my wife because it's my wife's house and I'm here. So we get down to the station. We went through hell, all right? I'm breaking this down because um, what we went through was... Uh, unbelievable 
uh, scenarios and what was taking place in front of us. We were taken to Barking Police Station. We were living in Clay all the time. We were taken to Barking Police Station and one of the coppers pulled me aside and said, listen, we want you to uh, instruct this lawyer, Leslie Bran. He's in Enfield. He's a good lawyer. He'll help you. In fact, he's here. I thought, what's going on here? I said, I've got my own lawyer. I said, I don't need a lawyer. I said, in fact, it's nothing to do with me. I was told this was going to happen. If you just ring Scotland Yard, Robert Scully, he'll tell you. There's his card. He's the chief inspector. Uh, no, we're not going to do that, mate. So they stick this lawyer in front of me who has been nicked for corruption, who went to prison. He was a crackhead. All right. <laughs> It's still documented. All right. So you've got the Albiel working with cracking lawyers, all, all playing their home game. This is, this is reality. It's still going on. Don't think for one second this ain't happening, but it's happening on another level. All right. Um, trust and police don't go. All right. So I've got this lawyer now saying, listen, we can have a deal here. I said, what deal? He said, we'll have a deal. The copper... The, the, the Leslie Brown is trying to tell me he can broker a deal with me, with the police, about what they found. I said, it ain't mine. Nothing to do with me. Call the fucking police. Call Scotland Yard. And that, the more I'm saying it, the more I'm thinking, what the fuck's going on here? What's going on? Anyway, they put a lot of pressure on us. I held my wife in the police station for nearly a week to put pressure on me. They then went to my dad and they said to my dad, we know your son's innocent. Give us 250 grand and we drop the charges. That was the start. That was the start of the seven tapes. Seven tapes. Right. So I'm nicked. I'm charged. My wife's bailed. I'm in Pentonville. My dad comes up and he says, this is what's happening. I said, Dad, it's not mine. It's not mine. I don't need it. I'm, I'm, I've got my phone business. I've got my post business. I've got, it's not mine. He says, I know it's not yours. They've already approached me. They want 200 grand. I said, give them the money. I weren't sure about the money. I said, he said, what if I give them the money and it's a trap to catch me because of the Asin Madeira affair? And I'm thinking, oh, fucking hell. This is, what do I do? I said, Dad, do what you've got to do. I'd rather do the sentence than get you nicked for anything. So that was my position. So while that was all going on, I'm sitting in Pentonville. Dave, in a couple of, not in a, in a week, I've been made high category A prisoner. Maximum security. Yeah, maximum security. And they said, they said come and get your kit. We're making you a cat A. I said, what's a cat A? Well, I soon found out what Cat A was. Anyway, while that's all going on, they're applying pressure on me, on my family, on my dad. Dad, do what you've got to do. So my dad then rings up um, CIB, the police, and says he's being blackmailed. Um, can you come down? And this is what's going on. So CIB turn up, and I've got all their names, I've got everything there, it's all documented anyway. CIB turn up, 
and they install a recording device in my dad's office. And they start tracing the calls. And we've got seven tapes with the police on it. Mr. Gune, it's us. This is what we want. We'll tell you who it is. We'll tell you how they've done it. We know your son's innocent. We know he's been set up. Tape one. Mr. Gune, we don't want this much money. We want this much money. We're a different group. It turned out there was about three, four different groups trying to blackmail my dad for money from the same unit. Okay? All police. All police. And they traced the calls back to Scotland Yard. And the voice on them tapes were matched with my interview tape of being one of the same coppers. Gillen, Osborne, Popham, Operation Jackpot. And I said, oh, all we've got to do is play these tapes in court and I'm out of here. That, that easy. <laughs> I was very wrong. What came next was um, another part of this nightmare that I'm still living. Um, so my dad had seven tapes, traced the calls. We obviously weren't losing, using Leslie Brand because <laughs> it was part of the team. Um, you know, I'm laughing there, but what my wife went through, what my children endured, what my dad went through, um, and all the while I thought, this will be over in a minute. This ain't happening. This will be over in a minute. Um, Pentonville, Brixton, this will be over in a minute. Brixton, uh, Idan, this will be over in a minute. Winchester, from Winchester back to Idan, this will be over in a minute. Swellside, from Swellside, Elmley, uh, back to Idan. It was it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And it, it wasn't weeks anymore. It wasn't months. It was seasons. It was years, you know. Going back to the appeal court, going up, going with the tapes, saying these are the police. Go to court. I went to court for these charges. And this is how well they got it all sewn up. So I'm in court thinking I'm going to be able to mention the tapes, the police, actually an inmate um, in prison. Um, God, I forgot his name. Gentleman, Ray. Bit of a face. He said, I've heard, I've heard you're having a little bit of problem, but he looked like a copper to me. I said, here we go. Yeah, go on. He goes to me, uh, are they out of Stone Newton? I said, yeah. He says, have you been for guns and drugs? And I just said, listen, mate, you're a fucking cop, believe me, alone. He said, no, no, listen, I've got something to give you. And he gave me an article of five court cases that were heard in the appeal courts of these police officers, in my case, okay, public knowledge printed, officers in these cases are planted guns and drugs in previous cases could never be relied upon as a witness of truth in any court in any land. This was the high court rulings in these cases. The same police officers. So I'm going to court. So I'm thinking, I've got to just, just show this, Your Honour. Just show this. These coppers are lying. I started off with 12 jurors. And I ended up with three of them getting up and leaving, saying we don't want a part of this. <laughs> we don't want nothing to do with this. Did they say why? Well, I was in custody, so the BBC was 
there and uh, uh, Michael Gillard and a couple of other journalists were uh, following it and um, I said, what's, what, what's going on? Anyway, the most peculiar thing happened in the court. The, they come back, uh, I'm fighting to uh, disclose this evidence and the judge saying, under the PII ruling, you can't disclose this. It's not in the public interest. I said, what are you talking about? This is in the public domain already. It's already out there. You're not, you're not allowed to say it. Well, I'm not allowed to say that these coppers in this court have done this before. I'm not allowed to mention it. So they rolled us over with this, uh, oh, I can't even think of his name anymore. Michael Howard brought in the ruling in 94, PIA ruling, non-disclosure, under that blanket, under that certificate. Anyone can set you up and they haven't got to disclose power to do anything all right and that's what they've been doing they've been making rules and regulations and uh, making laws without you even knowing it's being passed and not even asking the people and bringing in the us up in so many knots so this is the trial now i can't say anything i'm a turk i must be guilty i drive a Porsche. i live in north london this is that's what they've done to me i've got four for the gun Four for the ammunition and ten for the drugs. And I said to the judge, is that all? You can't send me back to prison. I make it 20 at least. You're taking the piss. So I couldn't believe what was happening. But at the same time, I could see what was happening. I was being fucked. The guy sitting next to the foreman stood up and he said, listen, there's something wrong with this bloke. And he's pointing at the foreman. He said, there's something wrong with this bloke. This ain't right. This is the jewellery. Okay, so everyone knew something was going on, but no one knew exactly what was going on. I'm going to get to the point on this one because about a year later, a friend of mine's sister, who worked in Liverpool Street, uh, this was kind of like some kind of journalist company, or printing company and she said to her brother my boss was the foreman of this jewelry it's your mate egg and he told me that he was having lunchtime drinks with the police and the police told him to find him guilty he's going to get off and that's what's happened all right so i'll find that out later so i asked her to make a statement can you make a statement she says, I'm scared. If they can do that to you, what are they going to do to my family? So I went through knowing that, knowing that it weren't mine, knowing that my dad was being blackmailed or trying to be blackmailed to, to try and set him up. I'm in prison year after year, visit after visit, my wife, um, every visit, kids being searched, all of the stuff. And you've got to remember... Um, uh, in 95, um, I wasn't in a good place. I was still dealing with a loss, still dealing with a loss of my mum. Um, I was in a bad place. Um, and thankfully, my friends and some members of my family, um, they're the reason why I'm still here. Um, uh, only love has kept me going. And, uh, I went through hell worrying about my wife my wife was approached 
early hours in the morning, they're trying to put the frighteners on her. My dad, with the tapes, the police, we weren't allowed to disclose the tapes. Then we were told there's an internal investigation going on, CIB uh, 1. Then we were complaining about they're not doing their job. Why aren't you doing your job? This is police corruption. This is the tapes. This is what's going on. CIB 2 was formulated. Uh, CIB2 is Criminal Investigation Bureau, same place, Scotland Yard, investigating CIB1. Then I had CIB3, uh, Chris Jarrett, I think his name was. Uh, Mr. Gounay, now I'm getting these visits in prison. We want to investigate your allegation, your complaint. Well, I said, what happened to CIB1 and CIB2? Who are you lot? We're CIB3, we're the growth squad. Oh, all right. So now I'm getting a little bit cynical. All right, so what are you lot going to do? Because I've been here nearly fucking six years and you're still investigating it, are you? New lawyers went to Bernberg's um, um, because the other lawyers, um, they get bought, don't they? Give us this one and we'll give you all the Crown Prosecution work. They're all in bed with each other. Crown Prosecution, the lawyers, the Albiel, the judges, they're all up each other's asses. Literally. Anyway, so uh Tim Tim Green was my lawyer and with in twelve months um he made all the difference. Um I could see light at the end of the tunnel after three failed three failed appeals and trying to disclose his evidence, still waiting for the CIB free Chris Jarrett. Um, a few weeks after him uh, telling me, yeah, don't worry, Mr. Gruno, we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're the ghost squad. We're the untouchables. We're this, we're that. Yeah, all right. Three weeks after that, I read on the back page of the Sunday Times, my mate comes into my cell and says, have you read this? And I said, what is it? He said, Chris Jarrett's been nicked for police corruption, head of CIB3. I said, there's a surprise. So you got you got get this in your head i'm in a police cell i'm in a i'm in a prison cell my life stopped i was running a a multi-million pound phone company i was doing all right you know i just had my second child i was 30 years old i didn't have any issues i was grieving i had stuff going on with my dad i was trying to hold together personal problems with a couple of members of my family um and my own issues and demons and everything that was going off, it just wasn't stacking up the way it should because it was something darker going on. And I'm going to appeal courts. Yeah, we disclose, we do this, we do that. Not even getting past the first judge. Appealing, appealing until I've now been transferred. I'm at the end of this. I am now going to Downview, which is a, from a... A cat to a B cat to a C, which felt like freedom. Because um, um, you're banged up 23 hours a day with a red light on. You can't go anywhere without a screw. All right, a screw's a prison officer for those that don't know. I was on closed visits for many years. I was forced to be strip searched and squat over a mirror so they could look up my ass to see if I'd plugged anything before I went out on my closed visit, and if you know what a closed visit is, it's behind the glass, there's no contact. 
Um, and then coming off the visit and being strip searched again, knowing that there's been no contact, okay? Being just humiliated. Um, I got to a point where I was... You go mad, don't you? Um, more members of my family died. My aunties, my uncles, my cousins. Um, who's next? Um, I was going through hell. They would keep moving me in the prison cell every three days from one cell to another. Strip search the cell as they do looking for stuff. So I, you play the game, don't you? Because you know when they're coming. So I started stripping the cell myself, ripping it apart, turning it upside down. And the screws come in and say, what are you doing? I said, I'm searching the cell. So what are you searching for? I said, I don't know. But every time you're not coming, you're looking for something. It's the kind of environment where it's, it's, they treat you so crazily, it, it drives you mad, doesn't it? And you start to behave like you're insane. Well, I think you've got to turn, turn it on its head. You've got to use reverse psychology. You've got to turn around and say, okay, they're coming in to search. Let me help them out. And when they come in, you say to them, look, yeah, I'm searching it because I want to help you guys, man. If there's something in here, I want to help. I said, I've got more prison officers coming in and searching myself than I did when I had fucking five key and a gun plotted up in my ass by the old bill. So let's get to the bottom of it. Um, and it does drive you crazy. Um, you got to worry about your kids. you got to worry about your wife. you got to worry about your dad. you got to worry. And you can't do nothing because... Your life only exists of that 8 by 12. And if you think anything out of that room, you're in trouble. And you saw some people get seriously assaulted. Man, so you can lose your, your face. Safety. You lose your face for a £2 phone card. You know, in the prison environment. <laughs> yeah. People say to me, what was it like? And I say, well, I weren't doing, I weren't doing ballet. You know, I weren't doing ballet classes. And uh, wherever you land, you're in a environment where everyone's doing double figures so anything over 10 years and you know 27 years 30 years 40 years lifers and you know you think oh, i've only got 14 shut up <laughs> you know you try and help yourself with it um you might be standing there cooking your dinner um because in open nicks you can cook your dinner um There'll be a pot of hot oil on, on the on the stove and it'll be there for a long time. And then all of a sudden you'll see another geezer come in, grab the oil, chuck it in the geezer's face standing next to you. And you watch his face melt and his ears just fucking screams that don't leave you. Um, fights every day, stabbed in the neck a few times with pencils. You have to wear GQ, FHM, and all your magazines 
you have to wrap them around you so you've got half a chance. You see toilet seats going into people's heads, um, riots kicking off. You know, it's not a nice environment for anybody. You know, and the worst thing is being in for so long, you watch the pattern of the prison service system change. They cut back on the screws. They brought in a mandatory piss testing. And, and what they've done by doing that, people were coming in uh, for little sentences like car thefts and burglaries with a cannabis problem and then leave with a heroin problem because they'd, if they get caught uh, with uh, cannabis in their urine, they're getting 28 days. Um, or they're losing time. So they're coming in for six weeks and end up doing six months because they've got cannabis... Uh, cannabinoids in their urine but if you smoke heroin it only stays in your system for two days so everyone has gone from smoking weed to smoking heroin and that makes you more addictive and more violent and, and you've changed the environment that you're living in all right because you've put in piss testing and you've put everyone that don't want to lose any more time on fucking smack so I said to the president, I said to the governor, I said, look, I'm not being funny, yeah, but why don't you just let these people smoke weed? You'd have a much better environment. I said, unless you've got a parcel of heroin you're trying to get rid of, you've got a good marketplace. <laughs> that didn't go down too well. <laughs> that got me shipped out. But that was the problem. You know, this was what we were challenged with on a daily basis. You're having a visit and it's kicking off on a visit. Um... Trust me, it's not a nice environment for anybody, you know. Um, people say, oh, you're soft on prisons. You're soft on paedophiles. You're soft on sex offenders, right? You are penalising people that are trying to feed their kids, but you're not penalising people that are raping kids. Um, so it don't make sense. There ain't no justice. In this country, it's completely out of balance. And, you know, it goes... Totally against, you can't condemn a man for trying to feed himself. You know, a hungry man is a dangerous man. And if he's got nothing to do, or he's got no hope, you know, you've only got to look at the streets. We've got homelessness all over the place. And these people only need feeding. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. They've given up on trying to be responsible and, and having somewhere to live because they can't cope with the demands of everything. And I know because I've come out from the prison service completely lost from running a multi-million pound 
businesses to not being able to cope, not even be able to put petrol in a car. I've had to rely on, um, and I salute them, the Royal Courts of Justice Miscarriage of Justice Group. Um, they were set up and I was the first case and uh, they were set up to help miscarriage of justice uh, people like myself and they really did help me without them um, I would have totally been lost um, and I still depend on them today they still help me with stuff because there's a lot of stuff that I can't do and there's a lot of stuff that I can do um, and there's a lot of stuff that affects me on a daily basis so as long as I'm in a place where I can love, be love, um, and serve um, my community in, in that most sacred time, that helps me as well as it helps me, helps the families in its, in its way. Um, so, yeah, that was some of the prison stuff. Eventually, after going into Spring Hill and getting a letter from the Criminal Case Review Commission, um, we've done CIB1, CIB2, CIB3. They've set up now a new group called Internal Affairs. And they want to interview me about my complaint against police corruption. And uh, by this time, I'm nearly out. I'm due my first parole. They can't knock me back. I'm not admitting my guilt, because if you don't admit your guilt, you've got to do the whole nine years and nine years, six months. Um, I was halfway through it. I was on eight Christmases and I'm eligible for parole and I'm in front of the parole board and they can't knock me back. Criminal, uh, the internal affairs turn up and I'm, I'm like, who are you lot? Oh, we investigate police corruption. I said, what happened to CIB one, two and three? What were your internal affairs? I said, excuse me for being cynical, but do you lot all know each other? No, I said to him. Actually, I said, what PlayStation were you from? He said, well, I've done a few PlayStation. I said, did you ever work at Stoke Newton? He said, yeah. I said, what are you doing here? What the fuck is this about? You know? And uh, I sort of shut him down. I said, I don't give a fuck, mate. I said, what you've lot have done to me, and the story's coming out, all right? You've covered it up, and you've covered it up, and you've covered it up. You're all involved. I said, answer me one question. You're all based at Scotland Yard. Where do you all sit when you're having dinner? Is it one long table? He said, well, it's something like that. <laughs> I said, well, you know, the only difference between you and him is the label. And that was it. That was Internal Affairs 1. Then Internal Affairs 2. So this is reality. Tell me I didn't exhaust every avenue, all right? And I don't know how I'm still here. For the, in the name of love. Um, CIB 1, 2, 3, Internal Affairs 1 and 2, a man, it's a fuck all. Excuse my language. I'll tell you what happened. I go up to uh, the appeal court after waiting years and years and years and years and years and hoping, hoping, hoping it'll be over in a minute, it'll be over in a minute, it'll be over in a minute, it'll be over in a minute. I get to court. I'm on license, so I'm out, but I'm on license, and I'm in front of the High Court judge, and they say, we accept your appeal, 
crushing your conviction, but we're not telling you why. Thank you. No, not even a thank you. Bang. And they got up and left. And I went, what the fuck was that all about? What? 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 Why are they telling me why? I know why. I didn't want to make it public knowledge because the amount of cases that these police officers were involved in, it would have brought down the whole judicial system. All right, because it was so networked very cleverly. These police are mafia. They are gangsters. And you can't fight them and win. Don't think you can. you just got to start out of a harm's way. Or the system has to change. But when you've got old Bill, who mates, you know, the Morgan case. There was an ex-copper who got an axe in his head over in South London. Um, there's many cases. Why, there's, did, why did he get an axe in his head? I think he was going to be a whistleblower. Um, he became a private investigator and uh, he was an ex-copper, become a private investigator and um, uh, it's in the book Untouchables by Michael Gillard and Laurie Flynn, Dirty Cops, Bench Justice, Racism in Scotland Yard. You should read that book. Um, and it tells, it's a very current, uh, still today, they tried to ban the book. Um, very powerful, very truthful, very factual. In fact, Michael Gillard helped me and Laurie Flynn helped me put the pieces together in my own case because I couldn't work out what was going on with who, where. All I knew is I was fighting the Met. I was fighting the judicial system. I didn't trust anything. I couldn't because I, I, I was on a... Um, you're going up to the appeal court in a minute. You're going up. You're getting up. I was being mucked around. I was isolated. I had red lights worried noises going on in my head from the cells I was traumatised on every level and that's what it does to you um, it totally destroys your soul or it makes you anyway so um, I go to court question my conviction two weeks later internal affairs to contact me we want to meet him we want to follow up your complaint against police corruption I said well make an appointment with my lawyers Tim Greenburnbergs Gareth Pierce in uh, Candom and we'll meet you there so I was given a briefcase with a camera in it and I've gone to the didn't tell my lawyers obviously this was given to me by a journalist I've got the video footage I'm happy to share that with you and the tapes and the CDs everything so I've rammed this case at the table, just like you have, right? But no one knows there's a camera in it. My brother, my dad, my wife, my solicitor and his assistant and these two old Bill come in and this is what they tell me. We knew you was innocent, Mr. Gunay, but we couldn't intervene because it was in the middle of a police corruption investigation. I said, well, that don't make me feel any better. I said, you knew, but you left me sitting there for eight Christmases, seven years, for saying that I didn't do. I said, I've been through hell. I've had my conviction quashed, and now you come to tell me that you knew. I said, what happened to all the information that, uh, the tapes what, that you was been given to prove that these police officers were corrupt. What happened? I said, you used me as a fucking guinea pig. 
to do your job. And now you come to tell me that you knew. I know you knew. Because it wasn't me. You were trying to blackmail my dad for money. Anyway, so um, that really, really didn't help me. Um, although I needed to hear it. I had it on video. I filmed it. Um, I've still got them videotapes. I've still got the recordings. And I'm, I'm here today with you, Sean, because of a mutual friend, uh, Richard, who said, listen, this guy wants to take your story up. No one's been brave enough to tell the truth of this story. I had another guy, one of the uh, short docs, the worst case police corruption, Egg, the first minute of that is edited out because we didn't have the music rights. Um, the guy that done that was approached and told not to release it because it would be in his best interest. So I was running around trying to catch him to get my uh, stuff back and why wasn't he doing anything with it. So eventually I put it up myself and I'm not okay with all of that stuff anymore because they've drained uh, they've drained me through what I've been through and um, I try to keep it a little bit simple now anyway so let me just tell the viewers the story's far from over there's two more huge things gonna happen but yeah keep going more still going on um, so that was 95 to 2003 I get my conviction quashed not been told why I I need all the help I can get I'm in bits I left a multi-millionaire they give me a mop and a broom like they were going to teach me something inside um, and I came out to uh, devastation I came out um, to a different world I'll tell you what it felt like for me there's a scene in uh Planet of the Apes, I don't know if you remember the film Planet of the Apes, where the uh, Statue of Liberty is just sticking out the ground. Um, and then there's this dust, this dust ball just being blown across. It felt like that for me. I come out and I found myself helpless. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't function. I was in a routine uh, that I had to learn to survive uh, I was institutionalised I still sleep on the sofa I can't sleep in a bed because I've I'm still institutionalised I know I am I've still got problems that I'm dealing with um, and I've been out a long time um, but I'm still uh, I still live with trauma I still live with uh, anxiety and all the other stuff I forget things um, because of the trauma. And I know it's trauma-related. And I've tried everything that was out there for help. And I ended up in the Amazon drinking uh, the uh, indigenous tribe medicine, which helped a little bit. But anyway, um, I came out completely lost, completely isolated. I didn't trust anything, nothing not even my eyes, I couldn't trust anything. I um I struggled with a lot. I was still dealing with mum's uh death. Um 
I was faced with many challenges, lost a business, lost home, all the money went on the lawyers. Um, my wife was frightened with the kids. It was just complete and utter fucking turmoil, man, from every level, you know. And I, I thank God, my wife's still with me. Thirty-eight years we've been together, so I'm very lucky that she, she didn't have to part with it. A lot of people want to part with what we were going through, so we come out, and lo and behold, I'm trying to try to get a routine. I've now got to be a dad to an eight-year-old and a thirteen-year-old. I can't wipe my own ass. Um, my head's fucked. I can't feed. You know, when you can't feed your own children, it's so demoralising. It makes you feel absolutely useless. And now whole purpose is to care, take care of our children and ourselves and try and do the best we can. And I think, you know, um, it was probably one of my hardest uh, parts of the journey, not being able to provide, um, not being able to cope. And I just weren't ready. The opportunities were there, but I was so scared and so paranoid and so fucked up that, I couldn't trust. I was looking down the toilet to see what was down there before I had a dump. That's how scared I was. Um, and that took me a long time to try and get out of that. Um, I still live with some of that. So that was 2003. 2004, I went to Cyprus with my dad. 2005, we were planning to go out there, I thought maybe this would be a better start, or maybe I can do this. Or, um, I just wasn't comfortable. Just go back a bit, I come out now, there's this woman on the scene, Diane Holiday. You know Diane Holiday? I do know from your videos, but just to tell the viewers, this is the Black Widow character now entering the story. Dark, dark. She makes Dracula look like a babysitter, mate. She's dark. She's definitely a descendant of the devil. And very cold, very calculated, very sinister, trickster, fraudster, professional. In all the tabloids, in all the papers, this woman was probably one of the darkest entities I've ever come across. And I've worked in a cemetery. <laughs> And so, what was coming next? I said to my dad, what are you doing? He said to me, I know I made a mistake. We're going to Cyprus. He said, you know. I said, listen, father to son, I don't like this. Man to man, I get it, all right? But what, what what's going on? You know? And... By the time I come out of prison, let me just tell you who Diane Holiday is. So when Princess Diana and Dodie Fire died, um, tragically, God rest his souls, this third party lady 
turned up and claimed to have had Dodie Fry's love child. Remember that story? Yeah. Okay, so she's approached Al-Fayed and Tiny Roland. She's playing them off against each other. She's a retired prostitute from the Dorchester. And as I understand it, she's a registered informant. So she's the woman that claimed to have had Dodie Fry's love child and tried to blackmail Al-Fayed. So I'll just repeat that. Princess Diana and Dodie Fried die in a car crash. This woman turns up and goes to Al-Fayed and claims to have had Dodie Fried's love child for financial gain, which amount to nothing. That's dark. To approach a man that's just lost his son and say you've got his child for financial gain is evil. Well, this woman now was my dad's girlfriend. After us burying Dodie Fired at Brookwood Cemetery, she wormed her way in. And the truth of the story is, she actually slept with my dad's cousin thinking it was my dad, because his name was Ramadan. And then she slept with my brother. And then she eventually got to my dad, who was the real boss. And uh, I said to my dad, what the fuck's this? What's going on? He said, I've made a mistake. We're going. It's nothing. It's finished. I said, what about the baby? He said, he's not mine. I said, who's the baby? He said, it's not mine. I had a vasectomy after your sister. My sister's um, 52 now. So anything over 70 years, a vasectomy is not reversible. So, okay. What about a DNA test? Now, we got to that after all. Now, 2003, 4, 5, 2006, my dad was murdered in Cyprus. And it just took me somewhere else. It took me to another place. Um, Do you want to just take us through what happened? Yeah. I got a phone call. Just before he'd gone to Cyprus, I took him to St. Bartholomew's. So I was very close to my dad. And and I know he felt guilty because he felt responsible for me being a part of um, being fitted up because of the Asunadia. But it was an amalgamation of my ex-partners, Harry Ramis and Andy Dimitru, who are in the book, um, who paid the old bill. And the old bill took advantage of that to set me up, they set me up. Off the back of that, they sold the idea to Roy Ram, um, who was conflicted because he'd come and give evidence at court and these other two police officers come and gave evidence at court and they were all, these were telling the truth, these were lying and it all come out in the wash that the old people were all bent, except for the ones that actually told us, look, we, we come to court and give evidence. So it was so much corruption it went all the way up to the top okay there was so many big guns in this operation um i was just caught in the middle of this stuff that i'd had nothing to do with you know uh, this this ain't my bag you know what the fuck is this all going on um and i found myself being targeted left right and center um and having to deal with dad's Murder. I get a phone call. Quick, Dad's died. 
get out of here. So I fly out to Cyprus and I look at my dad and he's blue. He's blue. He's a blue. I can't even see another blue in here. He was like a slaughtered. He was, his tongue was hanging out like um, it was fucking horrific. And I said, we need an autopsy. He's been, he's been murdered. This ain't a heart attack. I've seen enough bodies to realise what a heart attack is. And they got the help with us. They said, you got to bury him, because we bury traditionally within 24 hours. you got to bury him. I said, we're taking him back to England. And they said, then you have to have him embalmed. You have to wait for a pathologist to come. We don't have the uh, facilities in northern Cyprus. We have to bring one from Turkey. I said, well, we'll wait. We'll wait. So um, we waited a few days. By that time, um, when they come, it took eight, us, eight of us to pick him up out of the fridge. So I'm in the mortuary now in left Gosha, I think it's here. And I put him on the table. And they said, the coppers are saying, if you don't believe he's died in natural causes, you stand there and watch. And they made me watch. Then cut the top of my dad's head off. Jesus All right. Christ. Take, take some of his brain. <sighs> they put me through that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They cut him open. Took him back to England. They injected him with 222 milligrams of ethanol, which is enough to kill four horses. He was hemorrhaging for four and a half hours. They murdered him. They murdered him for his land and his money. And uh, there's 12 players in this game. And I'm now fighting this battle here with Diane Holiday trying to nick the estate out there with whoever was the players out there. It was coming from everywhere. Because she was with him, right? On this... Yeah. She, was, she wasn't in Cyprus. No. She no. wasn't in Cyprus. <laughs> but let me tell you, because this is going to be picked up. The police know she was involved. All right. I know she's involved. And, and I'm going to explain to you, um, this case is still going on. They've only just reopened the inquest. Okay. What they tried to claim was my dad taken Viagra and he drunk Zivanir, which is an alcohol, and he died on the job, apparently, with one of his other girlfriends. And I said, that's a lovely way to go. I said, but that's not what's happened here. I said, I know you couldn't take Viagra. Because before he left, um, I'd left St. Bartholomew's. My dad had the all clear. He was going for a checkup. He's going back to Cyprus to pick his olives from his olive groves because he was a very simple man like that. And um, in 94, he had the triple bypass. And I remember like yesterday because obviously lost mum. Didn't want to lose dad. He was going in for a triple bypass. We were all worried. And we went through the operation and he came out. And I remember Duncan Diamond, the hospital surgeon, saying to my dad, 
my dad was trying to explain. I've had this experience, this spiritual experience, um, which was quite amazing. And I remember it just like yesterday, Duncan Diamond saying to my dad, Ramadan, you can't take Viagra now, you know that, don't you? Because you have to take these medications. And my dad laughed, he went, ha ha, I don't need Viagra. <laughs> so I didn't forget that moment because it's not every day you vision your dad with a heart on, let's have it right. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> it was something that stayed with me, bless him. I know you can hear me. Anyway, so um, he was taking 12 different medications. Any one of three mixed with Viagra would have killed him. It was ethanol. They were punch hands. They're trying to say that he was putting insulin in. He used to put his insulin in his gut. Okay. The urine test was spilt and lost. There was no findings of any alcohol in his internal organs, but there was 222 milligrams of ethanol in his blood. Mm. And uh, I said, well, what is ethanol? It's a form of alcohol. It's a cleaning agent. That's a cleaning agent. I said, oh. I said, well, oh, what are you trying to say? My dad couldn't afford a bottle of champagne or a bottle of whiskey or something. He started mainlining fucking Ethanol, is that what you're telling me? Um, and what was happening? They was lapsing over the court cases, lapsing over here, while lapsing over there. Before we knew it, Diana had applied for a letter of administration of the estate, of my dad's estate. How that happened, I don't know. Um, we thought this can't be happening. He had two wheels. Both the wheels got disappeared. All right. Our lawyers, and if you ever use these lawyers, I tell you to move away from them. Kingsley Napley. The next thing that happened to us um, was incredible. We were sucked into the judicial system through the family courts, through the high courts, through the civil courts, through everything that was going on. And I'm saying, no. Then, while that was all going on here, in Cyprus, they produced these 14 forged checks, uh, which in Cyprus, if you write out a check and you sign it, it's as good as cash. So if you're a moneylender and I've got this check given to me by a client and I go to you, you give me the money on that check, you get your money from whoever's issued that check. It's as good as cash. So... There's 14 of these checks that have been altered to say from 300 teller to 3,000 teller. That's 100 grand each. But the key here is there's an English check. Now, my dad wrote this check out for £460 and he gave it to Diana to pay the gas bill. But that check ended up in Cyprus. Now saying four hundred and sixty thousand pounds. Now who writes a check for four hundred and sixty thousand pounds? And for what? So they put injunction and cautions on our land out there. Froze our accounts. Come back here. All these court cases started. Our lawyers, Kingsley Napley, 
well and truly fucked us. They destroyed the wheels. So we had this whole case about intestate. Then we had this whole case about domicile, whether my dad was domiciled here or Northern Cyprus. And the reason why these court cases had taken place because Diana only stood to, to benefit if she could demonstrate that Ramadangune was domiciled in the UK that would qualify her to claim as a dependent against the estate. What qualified her? Like, she wasn't married or anything? No, no marriage. She was claiming... Yeah, she what? was claiming lifestyle. Lifestyle? I got used to living like this, and I want my share. And um, she wants the whole cemetery? She took the whole cemetery. She took the whole cemetery? whole cemetery and sold it to Woking Borough Council. Oh. Now, the build-up to that... That, that court case, here and there, cost us £3 million in legal oh. fees. They left us broke. They were trying to bankrupt us, okay, uh, to the point where uh, Diana started playing games with me at the cemetery. She actually come on to me. Now, I thought to myself, if I don't record this, I'm going away. Something's coming. This ain't a joke. Mm. there's a lot of money here this is what this is about you better wake up I'm still in cuckoo land I've only just come out of prison I'm still coping with my kids I'm still traumatised I'm still under I need help and I've got this at me as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed when I was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed if you need to hire you need Indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use Indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Now, if you don't care that this bloke's lost his son in a car accident and you're trying to... She sold her own baby. If you can do that, you've got no morals, you've got no principles, you've got no integrity. You're a total cunt. Excuse my language. But I mean, it was dark. So I had all sorts of stuff going on. She set up a fake robbery at the cemetery. She allegedly got tied up with telephone wires. And then she claimed to the police that I've tried to rob my own office that I'm a director of. To steal what? So... I made a complaint to the police and I said to the police, she's a fraudster, something's going on here, there's stuff missing, we don't know what yet, we're trying to put our finger on it and while I was making a complaint, they weren't dealing with me as a complainant, they were dealing with me as a suspect. Not again. Yes, again. But not only that now, I was being lined up. I was being lined up and I'm making a complaint to the very same police that fit me up last time. Oh. So everyone that was in London, the Met, are now working in Surrey. 
<sighs> so I'm going back to the enemy and saying, this is what she's doing. But they knew what was going on. They knew exactly what was going on. All right. And I knew no one's going to believe this. No one's going to believe me that this is what's happening. So I'll tell you what I've done. Upstairs in the office from the uh, cemetery where I used to live, I cut out all the floorboards and I sunk hard drive in the roof. I put the floorboards back, I run the cables to a little sensor camera. And I've got her coming on to me. It's me and you. She was rubbing me up. She's going, like, I'm thinking, you're supposed to be the grieving bird. This is all over me. No one's going to believe this. Bearing in mind, my brothers and sisters have bought the bullshit. I said, you can't buy this. This is a fucking show. This is a business transaction for her, as far as she's concerned. This is work. She's coming on to me. She's coming on to me. How am I making that statement and expect them to believe me? So they weren't buying it at the time. They soon found that in the end. Um, but I had that struggle going on. I was reporting it to the police. Documents have been missing. This is a lie. We've got to go to Cyprus. There's checks out there. She's involved. Blah, blah, blah. It just sounded like a fucking nightmare. And they weren't listening because they weren't dealing with me as a complainant. They were dealing with me as a suspect of a burglary of my own office. All right. Which I live in. So what comes next? Well, I'm in court. We're fighting. The lawyer's telling us, don't worry, we're dealing with it. We find out that we have 23 court cases that we didn't even know we had. We find out that our lawyers uh, had an agreement with her lawyers, uh, a CFA, conditional fee arrangement, win or lose, we're going to pay her court costs. Her law fee, her, her lawyer's fees. That cost us a million and a half. We didn't even have an idea. But what they were trying to do is push us into bankruptcy to take control of the whole assets of Brookwood Cemetery and the outside interests and everything else and run us into bankruptcy. Done a really clever job. They got really, they've done very well. Um, very well orchestrated. Um, so much so, I had my house burnt down in Brookwood Cemetery. I had the car vandalised. I had smashed. I had people knocking on my door at three o'clock in the morning with pillowcases on their head, galling me to come out. I had fishing wire all over the place with mirrors all over the place so I could hear noises. <laughs> Have I watched too many movies? <laughs> Trust me, I was living every day of it. I think everything was really clear. Um, we were in the middle of doing a um, a funeral for a stillborn baby. I was actually at the gate waiting for the family to arrive and uh, to do the service. And what happens next? 20 armed response units turn up. With machine guns. Five of us. Mickey, Tohurst, his uh, son-in-law, member of my staff. It's five people. And the police turn up with fucking machine guns. And we're saying, look, what's the problem? Oh, we've been told that uh, 
something's happening here and so we're just in the middle of a stillborn baby funeral i'm afraid i'm arresting you i said what are you arresting us for uh breach of the peace breach of the peace i said are you joking now one of the boys were recording that with their phone so i've got that footage on my phone you're arresting us for breach of the peace while i'm in the middle of a stillborn baby's funeral are you taking the piss we were all arrested diana's across the road laughing at us takes over the funeral we get nicked we held down woken police station for five hours not an interview nothing and then released so this was just some of what i had to live while I was dealing with Dad's murder, while I was dealing with the court cases in Cyprus, while all this was going on at Brookwood, while I was in and out of the court cases, then I make my complaints. I have D.I. Vogel from Surrey. I'm saying, listen, you're all involved. Something's going on. The police officer in this case, Laura Hendy, is not doing her job. I've complained to her and I've given her evidence about what's going on, right? She's not following the inquiries. So what happens next? I, um, they appoint me a um, 25-year forensic fraud specialist copper, Roger Sprickley. You may have seen him on one of the videos. And he's a fraud specialist and we show him all the exhibits this is what she's done, this is what's going on, this is what we know. And he compiled a file that big. Meanwhile, excuse me, if you don't mind. Yeah, he was a good guy, wasn't he? He was on your side. He was watching honest. Watching the video. He was honest. And there aren't many honest officers. Yeah. I'm cutting this down short, you know that, don't you? You're fine. We've still got about 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> We need another couple of sessions. <laughs> anyway, so we get to Roger Sprickley. We get to him investigating it. We get to him getting to the exhibits. And we're getting close for an arrest. Because now we can see what she's doing. As time's gone by, you can see her mistakes. You can see what's going on. And every bit is fraud, pencil, all the documents, the check in Cyprus was the one because I was there on the Friday when my dad gave it to her and it's ended up in Cyprus and I'm asking, how's that check come from the UK here? They walked. Who's bought it here? In court it transpires that she was actually in Cyprus before she met my dad and when we asked her who did she come to me, she said, I don't want to disclose that information. So, it stunk all the way through. And then what happens? Um, I get fed up. Uh, before the build-up, I get a knock on the door. I'm at the cottage. Open the door. Yes, mate. Uh, I hear you looking for a contract killer. Just like that. As you do. I said... I said, are you for real, mate? Are you fucking serious? I said, fuck off, leave me alone. I slammed the door. Because this is what's, on top of everything that's going on, this is, they're trying to come at me. They stick a little uh, gardener into me, Shamaradi. They stick another couple of coppers into me. 
And then there's this constant one. Uh, Samurai gets arrested for beating someone up, nicking his phone. And he initiates trying to get me to speak to his so-called mate. They threaten to extradite him if he don't play the game and try and set me up. Um, so he's prepared to do everything. He's lining me up. And that's when the knock at the door comes. From the hitman. Yeah, from the hitman, who's an undercover copper. And I'm complaining to the police, saying this, 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 and this is what's happening, and why are you not doing nothing? What's going on? And I said to Roger, I said, listen, you better tell your mate to stop fucking about, because at the same time, Roger's investigating. This guy's knocking on the door, asking me if I want a contract killer. All right? Get, get your head around that, please. Once, twice, three times, and I say to him, please, mate, this is going to get messy. How much do you want? Tell me how much you want. Who's put you up to this? How much do you want, mate? Nah, mate, I'm, I'm out of Stoke Newington, all right? I've just done double figures. I've hung around with fucking murderers, kidnappers, drug dealers, fucking everything, right? You're going to turn up and you're going to offer me your services and you want me to buy this bullshit. Who sent you? How much do you want? Anyway, you weren't having it. So I come back after slamming the door in this geezer's face. I come back into the office because Roger Spickley's in the office doing his research, the cuppa. I said, listen, tell your mates to stop fucking about otherwise it's going to get messy. He's saying to me, what are you talking about? I said, you know what I'm fucking talking about. Stop it. He said, I ain't got a clue what you're talking about. Now, they all thought I was having relapses or paranoia attacks from my previous thing. But I'm living this fucking nightmare. Listen, the only people I should be seeing at the cemetery are grieving families, stonemasons, undertakers, gardeners. Not contract killer. I live in the middle of a cemetery and you're knocking on the door asking me if I need a, a contract killer so it happens again and I think to myself this ain't gonna go away these lot ain't doing their job he's fucking about the only way I'm gonna get to the bottom of this is to find out who's executed this warrant what's going on here so I like to play role this contract killer and say well what are you going to do mate and he says I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll run over and I'll run the kid over and I'll do everything and I'll go whoa mate fucking hell and this is Diana the targeted this pretending yeah. to target yes alright so but this guy was a copper I told Dr Robert King I said doctor this man it's a police officer, they're trying to set me up. I'm telling you, because I need you as a witness. I told John Clark, who's a Cambridge graduate from Cambridge, historian. Actually, he was a, he still is. He's the recognised historian of Brookwood Cemetery. Um, but they were all looking at me very strange, because they come from a different world. Please uh, don't do that. Yeah. Right? We're not the mafia. Yeah. So I had all this going on, and I'm thinking... They don't believe me, but I've got to tell them. I even told the monks. We had three Greek Orthodox monks 
at the cemetery and I said, listen, this is what's going on. And they're just thinking, this, this kid's nut-nut, right? It's, it's nut-nut. And I can understand that, but I had to, I had to protect myself one way or another. And so I said to this, uh, Zaf was the copper's name, uh, who's claiming to be an undercover. And I had to do this to expose them, to find out who was behind it. And the only way I was going to find out was to play role them, to take them to the point for them to arrest me so I could see who executed the warrant. Because there was no other avenue for me. I haven't buried my dad. He'd been murdered. I've gone through all of that stuff. I'm now dealing with this. This one's coming on to me. The police ain't doing their job. I'm backwards and forwards to Cyprus. She's made up a bogey burglary uh, uh, robbery, right? And why aren't you doing your job? Something else is going on here. And I put, as I said, I put my own cameras in. So while they're filming me, I'm filming them. And I told the Vogel and I told them all, I said, listen... It's going to get messy. If you want to play this game, we'll play this game, but it's going to get messy. My dad's been murdered. You should be investigating my dad. Not the fucking burglary. All right? Because I'm not going to rob myself. Why? What's the motive? Why do I need to tie her up? What is she? So this was deeper and darker than I could ever imagine. And so what happens next? Roger says, I found everything. I'm going to take my case uh, into to the commandant officer who it is, and hopefully she'll be arrested. This was the last conversation. While that was going on, I had Zaf turn up a couple of times, and, and I said to him, you're a copper. He said, I'm not a copper, mate. I'm from South London. I said, you're not from South London, mate. You're a copper. And I put it on him about five maybe six times I can't remember exactly but I stuck it on him and I knew that he had a recording surveillance device and that's when I put it on him um, to make sure that it was on the recordings anyway so he planned to do this hit and the code word for when he's done the job was to ring me up and say the paint is dry uh, okay I said so you ring me up when you've done the job you tell me the paint is dry alright so I had to set up this whole thing because I weren't getting anywhere because I couldn't complain to the police because I've been down there CIB1, CIB2, CIB3 internal affairs, internal affairs 2 it don't work it's cover-up after cover-up after cover-up, and I'm on the menu. That's it. So I didn't have no alternative. I had to isolate myself from my family again because I didn't want this to come to my kids or even see it. They could never understand the level of what I was going through. Anyway, so I get a phone call Monday. I think it was Monday. He said... The paint is dry. I said, the paint is dry. I said, did you put enough lacquer on it? And then I put the phone down. So I'm taking the piss now. I just want the old bill to turn up, all right? I want to see who's executed the warrant. Anyway, so I'm waiting for the police to turn up. 
They're waiting for me. They think I'm going to go and meet this geezer. He rings me up again. You coming to meet me? I said, yeah, where are you? He said, oh, I'm, I'm here. I said, yeah, I'm on my way. I ain't going to meet no one. They wanted payments. Oh, it ain't going to happen, mate. Come on, bruv. All right. And this is what you have to weigh up. All right. Am I mad enough to knock a contract killer? Okay. Or did I know you was a copper and you was never going to get fucking paid and I'd done what I'd done to fucking prove what you lot were doing? And I was right. Because I knew. I've been here before. I've been through the whole system and you can't teach me again twice. I was traumatised on every level. I didn't forget the first time. And I'm sure not going to forget the second time. So what they've done, they set up an accident, they smashed up a car, they had a helicopter operation. They were intent on setting me up and getting me out of the way. But the key thing here is, all right, Roger had left. He's gone to say to his inspectors, she's guilty. There's the case. I've got a file like this all over. This bird has done everything to everybody. She's robbed diamond dealers in different countries. She's done everything. She's blackmailed. I've got statements that she's signed from the police. I spent a lot of money with a private investigators to find out everything. She's a professional con artist trickster. And you look at her and you think, oh, but I want to melt in her mouth. She's the devil, man. This was a lot of trouble I went to. And Brookwood Cemetery was the target. Anyway, so what happens? The paint's dry. Have you put enough lacquer in it? And I'm waiting for the police to come. <laughs> right? So, because they left me nothing to do. Where else can I go? I've marked my cards with my witnesses. Everyone thinks I'm fucking mad. I can't trust my brother. I can't trust my sisters because they're not having it. They don't know what's coming yet until they get the bill. And I mean, I'm, I'm telling them and they just think I'm having relapses and repercussions of what I've just been through. So I'm on my own. I've got the video. I've got my witnesses. Come on in. You want to fucking play? Let's play. Most of us going to do shoot me. At least I'll have it on film. Anyway. They don't turn up. I think I've got to go to London because I've got to go to Cyprus. I thought I'd just get this over and done quickly. I make my way to London. Zaf rings me up. Where are you? I said, yeah, I'm on my way. He said, but I haven't even told you where I am. I was like, yeah, go on, where are you? I take the chip out of the phone. I'm never going to meet him. Um, they're not coming or I'll put it they're not coming I go into London I tell a few people look this is what's going on if anything happens they just like alright oh, alright because they think it's too far out there um, I go back to Brookwood and I've got a few mates and staff and the police turn up about 8 or 9 o'clock Mr. Gounay? I said, yeah. He said, you're under arrest. I said, what for? I said, solicitation of murder. I said, really? I said, did anybody get murdered? No. I said, did anybody get paid? No. I said, can I see your warrant? He gave me the warrant. And the name of the warrant was Laura Hendy. 
Laura Hendy was the original police officer that I was complaining to about Diana's fraud. And it transpires in court that Diane and Laura Hendley were mates having tea and biscuits. Mm. All right. So that's how deep this run. Now, I've been nicked. So Diana was part of the police mafia. Come on, man. You can't get away with what you're getting away with. Even Ray Morgan and Douglas Spinks had a hand in this. They're, they're the chief executives and uh, the big wigs in uh, Woking Borough Council. They wanted Brookwood Cemetery at whatever cost. And they told us. I've got that on recording. We recorded a meeting with them saying, we've done everything we could to help Diana because we wanted the cemetery. I ain't got to that yet. I'm nicked. I'm on a murder charge. I'm at the old Bailey. I've done it. I'm in Wandsworth Scrubs. I'm on looking at another 25. And they're going to get me out of the way because I'm the problem. Because I know what's going on. They spent a lot of money on this. Helicopters, smashing up cars, police operations, surveillance. But Roger Spreckley, who had done the case and give it in, he said, I've done my job. He told me himself. He said, as I handed it in, he said, don't worry, we've dealt with the Gunay problem. <laughs> That's what I've dealt with. So tell me about police corruption. And it still went on. I spent a year. I was involved in a... I've got, I've got back condition. I've got back problems. Um, which didn't help. So being transported back from prison... Now, I find myself back in prison now. This is 2008 or nine. I'm not sure. But I've completely destroyed my kids because now their dad's gone missing again. All right? Where's my dad? I'm still dealing with that, with one of them, abandonment issues, they call it, and trauma. Um, I'm at the Old Bailey. I'm in court six, I can't even remember, but I'm in front of the Recorder of London. And the prison van was involved in an accident. I was in it. I got slung all over the place. I had to go to hospital. They gave me a paracetamol, took me back to prison. I had to wear a nappy through the five-week trial at the Old Bailey because I'd lost all bowel control, all bladder control. All right, I couldn't sit down. All right, Jeez. they threw me all over the place. They jumped all over me. They tried to fucking kill me. All right, um, I done that trial, and I got to the point where my solicitors had done everything they could. They covered every angle and everything, and they said, actually, <laughs> the first. The first jury that was sworn in, as I looked up at the jury, they all looked like old Bill. And I said to the judge, please ask if there's any old Bill in the jury. And uh, they said, is there any police in the, in the jury? Can you please stand up? Half of them stood up. I said, come on, please. So we went through that. Got another jury. I've got to say, I didn't feel any more comfortable from the jury, the second jury, because 
This was happening in front of my eyes. When you tell the story, they think you're mad. But I've lived it. I lived every moment. And I've cut out chunks. I mean, it needs to be told properly. But this is what they've done to me. This is what they've done and still doing. Um, and I still haven't buried my dad because of these people. All right. So I'm in court. My, my solicitor, Sean Curran, and my barrister, um, Reese, is going to kill me for forgetting his name. Good barrister. Anyway, he goes, um, it's not looking good, Dick. I said, I know. I said, what do you reckon? He reckons it's going to be a life, probably a 20. I said, okay, what about the appeal? You know, I've had to swallow this and accept it. Because I'm thinking, they've done this to me once. They've done it to me twice. You know, they can do it. You know, they got Kennedy, mate. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm still alive. So, um, accepted that this is a fuck. And they want me out of the way because I'm the problem. And we go up in court and you see all the prison officers and all the polices start doubling up on the exits so you don't make a run. And five-week trial. And the jury couldn't come to a conclusion. They weren't all decided. It wasn't an unanimous. It wasn't all of them. Um, and the judge had a go and he said, you've got to make it an unanimous, like whatever the majority vote is. So they've gone and come out, and they're saying, we're still undecided, we're 10 to 2, we're 11 to 1 now. He said, well, I'll accept 11 to 1. And I'm thinking, fucking, I'm looking at the jury, and I'm like, man, I'm gone, man, they don't believe none of it. And they said, we find him not guilty. I cried, and I cried, and I heard my wife. Right, I couldn't believe that, that they believed the story because it was too fucking unbelievable. <laughs> Diane had made eight statements and lied. The police stood up in court and we put them. I told the police, I told this staff, he was a copper eight times, five times. Six times, every point on that recording that they were recording, you know what they said? Our recording equipment failed. This is what I'm living. This is what they're doing, all right? They've stolen the largest cemetery in the world from us and got away with it so far, all right? This was all to do with money and that land, okay? I had all this going on and I was released. I had to go back now to Cyprus and still fight. And I've only just managed to reopen the inquest at the beginning of the year. Okay. So I'm back in Cyprus as soon as this quarantine, COVID-19 stuff is relaxed a little. And then I'm hoping to demonstrate and prove. The judge has already opened the case. He said, I want him all back here. This man has been murdered. All right, that changes the dynamics of this case. 
he's now murdered, who's to benefit the most? And then I have to come back and then I'm going to have to do a private prosecution against the police, against Diana, against Woking Borough Council, and I'm coming because I need to bury my dad. I need to lay him to rest. She's put an injunction on my dad so she could claim as a dependent for money. I can't lay my dad to rest. I've buried everybody's loved ones, but I can't bury my own. Do you know what that does to a person? Okay, so that's that part. That's up until I come out of the old Bailey and then I'm faced with... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Being evicted from my home, dragged through the courts here up in Surrey, Guildford. Um, they left us with nothing. They took my mum's house away. We had to pay a three million pound legal bill. Where'd you find three million quid? Actually, I went for bail, and some of my, I had some really precious, beautiful friends. Um, the judge asked for a million pound bail. But I want it in cash, he said. So I asked a few of my friends, and they all pulled together, and they said, we got it. So when we went to court, and said, yeah, we got the money for the bow. And he said, if you've got the money to pull out a million pounds, you're dangerous. I had it all from every angle. I think being arrested at a stillborn baby's funeral for a breach of the peace was probably the lowest of all those. Um, don't expect anything from the police. You can't trust any one of them. And that's a sad statement that I have to make because I know that there are good coppers. I know that there are. Um, um, I know that um, they think they're outnumbered, but there are more good coppers than there are bad. The problem is they're deep-rooted. It's at the top, isn't it? It's all at the top. Politicised. It's all at the top. You know, when you've got the taxpayer's purse funding everything that they're doing, they're getting away with it at our expense, playing games, um, putting people in prison, killing people, innocent people, nicking, even, uh, you know, I'm a wise old egg. I've done the mileage. My case hasn't finished yet. My case is still going on. Um, I've, I, I don't have peace until I lay my dad and my mum to rest. And every day I wake up and I pray and I get one day closer to do that. 
hell of a powerful story. That's just some of it. Yeah. It's just some of it. Um, People... People watching this might want to contact you or help you in any way. And I know you've got your YouTube channel. We'd run out of money. We'd run out of money for the lawyers. We need some decent, trustworthy lawyers who's going to fight the system. We've got enough evidence there to reopen this case and prove the truth. Um, we got screwed over by Kingsley Napley. If there is anyone out there that can help us, um, I, I, I really would appreciate the help. Um, or if there's anyone that knows... Um, actually, you know, there is quite a few people that have approached me who, um, some of Diana's team approached me and said, we want to talk to her, we want to help. You know, I know that there's people out there that know stuff. I'm at the mosque. Um, where I am now, I'm I'm a funeral director. I'm in Dalston, I'm in Shackwell Lane. Um, I live there on my own. And I, I'm responsible for the last journey. I wash and prepare the deceased, the males, obviously. And I pretty much do what I can to help people that are, are struggling because that's my journey now. When they hear my story, they don't have a problem. So I think the reward and the benefit is that when they think they're having a hard time, I give them five minutes of mine, and they go, you know what, I ain't, I ain't having a problem here. So I think that's, that's the gift, if you like. Um, if people do want to get in touch with you then, can we put your email address below the video, or yeah. do, you have, do you have like a Facebook yeah. or anything? I'm on Facebook. I'm on, uh, I do, I'm not very good at emails, but my email, you can put it on there, it's uh, um, 911egg3x at gmail.com. Or my Facebook, as I call it, is Egg Gune. So it's E G G Gune, G U N E Y. Um, but I'm going to be a bit paranoid. I think you're a copper first, so <laughs> you got <laughs> you got to prove that you're a freedom fighter, one of the revolutionaries. <laughs> um, and you know what happens is really and truly, this needs to stop. It needs to change because. Our kids are on the menu. Our kids are next. The courts, the judicial system, the lawyers, the police, your MP, they're all fucking rotten, all right? You'll get a little percentage that wants to do the right thing, and I think they're more powerful. We are being run by paedophiles, all right? This ain't no conspiracy theories. This is a reality of what we're dealing with. Not one of these people have been booked to book. And it goes right the way up. And is this acceptable? You know what I say? I make this statement these days. I, I get Guy Fawkes, you know. I think Guy Fawkes probably had his finger on the button and he knew what was going on and he wanted to get rid of this poison. And, you know, the world would be a much better place if we had people with hearts and souls. Protect the kids. Begin the war on paedophiles. Stop locking young people up for drug offences. It's ridiculous. More education, less incarceration for young people, mm-hmm. but put the paedophiles away for longer sentences. If you've enjoyed this video, please let us know in the comments what you thought about it. Like I said, in the description box will be linked to contact Egg to his YouTube channel and to his Facebook if you want to go down and click on those links and support him in his mission. 
if you want to get in touch, if you're in the legal community as well, you know, he really needs that help, like he said. Huge thank you to all people who've donated so we can do these videos in the production level with our cameraman, James, and our sound engineer, Joe. And those links are in the description box as our links to all the other stuff that we're doing online and our socials. And huge thank you to all the new subscribers. Subscription logo is in the bottom right-hand corner of the video. All right, give us a hug then, Egg. That was uh, so, thank you so powerful, powerful. Yeah. Well done. Well done. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.